Thank you for joining IRW Coffee Break. This is a podcast series hosted by KPMG IRW specialists within the Washington National Tax Practice to discuss current topics in the field of information reporting and withholding. Every episode will discuss a discrete area of interest in a brief segment. So we invite you to grab a cup of coffee or just get comfortable while we explore all things IRW. Welcome to this episode of IRW Coffee Break. I'm your host, Danielle Nishida, and we're going to be talking about FBAR requirements today. I'm joined by two guests who are both FBAR specialists. Steve Friedman is a director in our Washington National Tax Practice, who is a technical expert in FBAR filings. And Ted John is a managing director in our IRW practice, who specializes in the operational side of completing those FBAR filings. Being as we have two phenomenal guests on today's podcast, I'm not going to waste time and I'm going to jump right into the interview and ask them to provide the background on today's topic. Steve, can you start us off with an explanation of what exactly is FBAR reporting and who's required to file these returns? Sure, Danielle. The FBAR reporting requirement falls within the Bank Secrecy Act, so it's not a provision under the Internal Revenue Code, and it requires an annual report of foreign financial accounts to be filed by U.S. persons. That would include U.S. citizens, U.S. residents, as well as U.S. entities, corporations, partnerships, trusts, and LLCs, even LLCs that are treated as disregarded entities for U.S. tax purposes. Reporting is required if a U.S. person either has a financial interest in or has signature or other authority over a financial account maintained outside the United States, and the aggregate value of the accounts is more than $10,000 at any time during the calendar year. The due date for filing FBARs is April 15th, but filers receive an automatic extension of six months, so you really have until October 15th to file. And just to clarify, this is different than the Form 8938 reporting that's required of account holders under FATCA, right? Absolutely. Although there is some overlap, the two requirements are different. Form 8938 is a requirement under the Internal Revenue Code, again, separate from the Bank Secrecy Act provision for FBAR filing, and Form 8938 is filed with your tax return, as opposed to a separate filing you do with FBARs. The 8938 reports foreign financial assets, as opposed to just foreign financial accounts. Now, generally, the 8938 requirement falls on U.S. citizens and U.S. residents, but can also require certain U.S. entities to file, such as a U.S. corporation, but only if that corporation is closely held and at least 50% of its assets produce or are held for the production of passive income, such as interest or dividends. So only a limited number of corporations will have an 8938 filing requirement. And the types of foreign assets subject to reporting is much broader. For example, interest in a foreign pension plan, as well as ownership of a foreign entity, must be reported on Form 8938. And lastly, I should mention, that the dollar thresholds to trigger reporting are much higher than the $10,000 threshold for FBAR reporting. Okay, so these requirements are different, but they're not mutually exclusive. So it is possible that you could actually have to do both reporting for a particular account. Is that right? Absolutely. You could have both requirements. Okay, thank you, Steve. And let's shift to talk about what's required on the form itself. Um, Ted, can you walk us through how to complete the form and how do you go about filing the return? Sure. First, it's important to note that the FBAR form is required to be submitted electronically 
separate from one's tax return filing. Once an individual or entity determines that they have an FBAR reporting obligation, they would go to the FinCEN website and complete the five-part form. Part one is basic demographic information. The section also provides the opportunity to streamline the filing if a filer needs to report 25 or more accounts. They would simply check a box, indicate the number of accounts, and skip the parts that require all the individual account details. The filer would need to keep good records of those individual accounts. A filer reporting less than 25 accounts would, however, need to complete all applicable parts of the form, which require details about each account, including the type of account it is, the name of the institution where the account is held, and the maximum account value, which could be an approximation. There is a handy checkbox if the max account value is unknown. One would sign and date the form, or the preparer would sign and date the form. But one thing to note, a preparer that is electronically filing on behalf of the filer must receive permission from the filer via Form 114A, which the preparer must keep on file. So to summarize, as an example, a U.S. asset manager with employees that have signature authority but no financial interest in a foreign bank account will file an FBAR for each employee and report the employee's information. The amount of additional information required to be reported will depend on whether the employee has authority over more or less than 25 accounts. Okay, and for our entity clients, where are we seeing them coming in for help the most? We're seeing a fair number of entities, large and small across all industries, that are looking for help in navigating the FBAR rules, particularly understanding if they qualify for any of the exemptions, exceptions, or whether they have a reporting obligation. Many wind up having reporting obligations due to their employees having signatory authority over financial accounts. Also, some fund families realize they also have a reporting obligation due to ownership of entities with foreign financial accounts within their structure. So is this reporting obligation limited to just those with the signatory authority over the accounts? No, Danielle, the reporting requirement goes beyond signatories. It includes those U.S. officers and employees that have authority over the foreign account through direct communication with the foreign financial institution. So U.S. individuals who can gain access to the funds in a foreign financial account, that is, they can withdraw or transfer funds out of the account, again, through direct communication with the foreign financial institution, those U.S. individuals are also subject to FBAR reporting. And note that the communication can be done alone or in conjunction with another person. For example, many companies have back office employees who move funds from foreign accounts by having one person serve as the initiator, perhaps electronically communicating with a foreign bank to move funds. And then they have a second person come in behind the initiator and serve as the approver and electronically communicate with the foreign bank. Both of these U.S. employees would be considered to have authority over the foreign bank account, and each should report the account on their individual FBAR. One final note, the U.S. officer or employee that directs those individuals that I just described to move the funds would not have an FBAR filing requirement if he or she is not a signatory and cannot gain access to the funds on their own through direct communication with the foreign institution. And Ted alluded to exemptions from this reporting obligation. Can you talk to us about those exemptions? 
for those with authority over the account? There is a reporting exception, but the exception is generally limited to foreign financial accounts held directly by a U.S. regulated entity as described in the FBAR regs, such as a U.S. financial institution or a U.S. publicly traded company. And the U.S. individual must be an employee or officer of the specific regulated entity. The reporting exception also applies to a foreign account directly owned by a U.S. subsidiary of a U.S. publicly traded company if the U.S. individual is an officer or employee of that specific U.S. subsidiary. So, Danielle, as you can see, the current reporting exception excludes the vast majority of foreign accounts as they are typically held by controlled foreign corporations where the U.S. company indirectly owns the account. Now, when the U.S. Treasury became aware back in the spring of 2011, soon after the final regs were issued providing for this reporting exception, when they became aware of how narrow the reporting exception is, an extension of time to file was granted to eligible individuals. The extension is available to U.S. officers and employees of any entity that is more than 50% owned by the U.S. regulated entity, and it applies to any foreign financial account owned by an entity that is more than 50% owned by the U.S. regulated entity. The initial FinCEN notice granting the extension was applicable to calendar year 2010 FBARs. But every year thereafter, 2012 through 2021, another FinCEN notice has been issued, further extending the due date. The latest extension notice, which is FinCEN notice 2021-1, now takes the due date to April 15th, 2023, and believe it or not, it applies to FBARs for calendar years 2010 to 2021. So if you're required to do an FBAR filing and you miss it, or you do the filing and you perform it incorrectly, what are the potential penalties that you may face? Different penalties could apply depending on whether the violation was a non-willful or willful failure. For example, a non-willful failure could be subject to a minimum $10,000 penalty. For willful failures, the greater of $100,000 or 50% of the balance in the account could apply. Now, this is in addition to interest, any tax owed, and an accuracy penalty. Although rare, criminal penalties could also apply. You should be aware that failure to understand the requirement of having a foreign financial account is not a good reason for avoiding the requirements. It is worth noting that there has been inconsistent court rulings with respect to how FBAR penalties are applied, with some courts applying the non-willful penalty on a per-form basis versus other courts applying it on a per-account basis. The latter could increase the penalty significantly if a taxpayer has many offshore accounts as part of a single FBAR filing that were not reported. Supreme Court recently took up the case, which I know you have been following closely, Steve. Yes, the Supreme Court will hear an FBAR-related case this fall as there's a split between the Fifth and Ninth Circuits as to how the non-willful failure to file penalty should be calculated. The case is called Bittner, and the court will essentially decide how to calculate the non-willful penalty. As you mentioned, Ted, it's a question of whether the $10,000 penalty is imposed on each FBAR report or on each foreign financial account subject to reporting. Now, in the Bittner case, these two different approaches create vastly different penalty amounts. Bittner is arguing for one penalty for each of the five years an FBAR was not filed 
for a total penalty of $50,000, as opposed to the government's position that the $10,000 penalty applies to each account that should have been reported, which for the five years at issue is 272 accounts for a total penalty of just over $2.7 million, so quite a difference. That does seem like a significant difference. We are going to have to watch closely for the resolution of that case. Ted, what recommendation do you have for a filer that missed the filing and needs to remediate the account? I would recommend getting current as soon as possible and file those past FBARs. The process would include electronically filing the past year's FBARs and selecting a reason for the late filing from the drop-down options or choosing other and providing a reason in the space provided which provides up to 750 characters. The IRS has actually been quite generous with penalty relief in this area, as long as the taxpayer is not under audit and the IRS has not already contacted the taxpayer. Thanks so much. And I think we're going to close today. Thank you, Ted and Steve, for joining me. That was a really informative session. And for our listeners, thank you, as always, for joining us. We hope to talk with you next time.